0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We
1: behold the glory God in the face of Christ. It shows us
0: Today, we'll continue our look at the covenant of grace and see how grace allows us to come before God without fear to receive mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. By God's grace, we receive all we need to live for the glory of God. And now here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Reason Why We Run.
1: We exalt unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, resentment above God's grace. That's what happens when we hold on to bitterness. We say, God, this is too big for you to handle. I'm going to keep this. I have a right to this. I'm not going to give you this. And that's where it becomes profanity. It's something that we're keeping away from God and we're not giving to God. We're not giving it over. We're not releasing it. We feel we have the right to it. And we are exalting that thing and the power of that thing over the power of God to work in our life. Paul says that unforgiveness gives a foothold to Satan and his devices in our heart. No wonder it's profanity. It's a satanic element that's allowed to be planted in our heart and take over and and have growth. We don't want this. What's the alternative? Grace? Grace. What does grace do? Grace pursues peace and purity, holiness in every relationship. When I allow Satan who was a liar and murderer from the beginning, to get a placehold in my heart. I am no longer representing the God of all peace, but I become more like Satan than I do Christ. Esau could never truly repent. It it got such a a foothold, and bitterness can get such a placehold in our heart that some people are too hardened to repent. They refuse to repent. Uh, They see it as something that's a gain instead of such a loss. Esau could never truly repent. He couldn't change. He wanted God's blessing, and we're told he even sought it with tears. But he couldn't, and he wouldn't change, weed out, confess his sin, or get to the root. He could not renounce his resentment. The covenant of grace allows us room to repent. We can, by God's grace, renounce bitterness and pursue peace and holiness by God's grace. Next, the covenant of grace has a better destination, verses 18 through 23. Back in Hebrews four sixteen. Perhaps remember this. It's such a great scripture. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The throne of grace is our destination. There we are wanted and met with mercy, forgiveness, welcome. There we receive the ample supply of all we need to live for the glory of God. Remember the A's of always in abundance and able. Without grace, the only destination is Mount Sinai, the law. The law. And Mount Sinai, remember, he says it couldn't be touched. In other words, no one was worthy of it because no one could keep the law. So if anyone with any sin touched Mount Sinai, they would die. The righteous presence of God on Mount Sinai slayed people. That's why we need grace. Only grace makes God approachable. We're told that Mount Sinai burned with fire. It was too hot to even get close to. And there was blackness and darkness and tempest. It couldn't be understood. It was not welcoming. It was not safe. The sound was too convicting and condemning. It sounded like a trumpet, and those who heard it begged not to hear it. It was too harsh. It was too loud. This is the law. You can't touch it. You can't bear to hear what it says, and you can't even approach it. That's the old covenant of fear. But that is not the covenant that we are under. In fact, he says, if a beast even touched the mountain, it would be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And Moses himself was terrified and trembled. Even Moses, through whom the law came, could not approach the mountain without a divine covering or an invitation of God. But by grace, we have come to Mount Zion, And Zion is a biblical euphemism for heaven. By grace, we right now have the kingdom of God set up in our heart. We get to go also to the real place, the very city, the true city of the living God. And what is there? The great assembly. Remember, nobody could touch. The mountain was isolated. Only God was on the mountain. But with us, we have a great assembly. And we're told there's innumerable angels and the assembly of the church. In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, we get um, a bit of an insight to what that general assembly consists of. And it says, and have re- oh. As the assembly sings, they sing this song and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, people and nation, made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So the assembly that we've come to is out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is the general assembly we've come to. Remember, Mount Sinai was in the midst of Jews, the called out. It was so restricted. And then even Moses couldn't go up there. So restricted. But what? We're allowed to go into Mount Zion. Anyone who believes of all nations and tribes and kindred and tongues. Then we're told that the Mount Zion with the general assembly is the church of the firstborn. Firstborn here being the term for inheritors of grace. We are those who receive all the blessings of Christ Jesus. That's what it is to be the firstborn. The firstborn in those days, that was the one who inherited everything. If you were the second child, you got nothing. Third child, sorry, hit the streets. But the firstborn, the eldest, they got everything. So firstborn in the Bible, does not mean the eldest of the family, but it means the one who gets the inheritance. And so what he's saying is in Mount Zion, in this heavenly assembly, the general assembly, everybody gets the inheritance. Isn't that great? It's like going to a birthday party where everybody gets presents. I always wanted to go to a birthday party like that. And then he says the registered in heaven Isn't that great? Registered in heaven. Your name is there. You're expected. You've got reservations. I love that. Placement, belonging. You're expected there. What a welcome. And then he says, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And how are we made perfect? Well, we're told that in Hebrews 10.38. The just are made perfect by faith. The just shall live by faith. Won't heaven be wonderful? No more mistakes or sin. None of those words that you have to explain or like, I'm sorry I said that. Are you okay with me? I'm okay with you. That will all be made perfect. I had this woman in my life one time. She was a terrible gossip and she was always saying mean things. You would bring her to a party. You tried to invite her in and all she'd do was like, put down the house she was invited to, uh, put down the food she ate. She always had this, just this criticism. And interestingly enough, I was teaching on making our heart the garden of God. And I had gone to this passage and talked about weeds in our garden, how we need to weed out the bitterness and those things. And at this point, I was really, really upset with her. I mean, and she and her husband had left our church, come back, left our church, come back, left our church, and then come back. And I told Brian, don't let him back in. Don't let him back in. I mean, once was bad enough, twice really bad, but not again. Do not let them back. And Brian said to me, I have to. I said, why? He said, grace, and they're really repentant, so we have to let them back in. So I'm doing a study, and there she is sitting right there, and I could see her, and she's just smiling at me, and she's looking so sincere and beatific, and I'm like, darn, don't want to love her. Don't want to like her. Don't want her here, but she's looking so sweet, and she really was, had a great personality when she wasn't being critical and mean. Really great personality. And I remember afterwards, she was waiting for me, and I stepped down, and she said, Cheryl, will you lay hands on me and pray for me? I've got so many weeds in my garden. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what? Darn it. I don't want to love you, but I can't resist you. I can't resist you. And she said, Cheryl, someday I'm going to be perfect, but I think that might be heaven. And I thought about that, but I thought, oh my goodness, she wanted to be so much better than she was. She didn't want that part of her personality that was critical, and she paid a high price for it. But I thought about her after that, to see her as she'd be in heaven. And every time I greeted her, and every time I talked to her, it was like I saw her in that perfected, heavenly state. And this is what he's saying, we're going to be perfect. The justified spirits, the ones that have been justified by grace, made perfect, absolutely perfect. And then he tells us we'll be in the presence of God. Verse 23 to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, so we're in the presence of God. And then in verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator, and here it is, of the new covenant. We are there because of the new covenant of grace. We are with our mediator, the one who negotiated and ratified our covenant of grace with God. Next, grace speaks a better message, verse 24b and 25. And to the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Abel was the righteous son of Adam and Eve, and he was killed by his brother Cain. And God said in Genesis that Abel's blood cried out from the earth. And you know what it cried out for? Vengeance. Vengeance. It was saying that blood must be spilled. The blood of the murderer must be spilled to cover the blood of the slain. That's the message of Abel's blood. Vengeance. Vengeance. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better message The message of grace, forgive them, forgive them. Remember how Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As his blood was spilling to the ground, it spoke of forgiveness. It spoke the hope of being covered, covered from the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. No more vengeance, but a better message. Jesus' blood, the sprinkling, speaks of forgiveness, purify- purification, and life. This is the message given from heaven by the Holy Spirit. No one escaped the message of Abel's blood. Under the law, the one who murdered must be murdered. And all fell under the curse of the law. But the message from heaven is a savior. It's a greater message, an inescapable message with a greater reward, but also a greater consequence for refusal. If the message of vengeance, if the message of the law brought a terrible end for the murderer, how much more severe if we refuse the message of grace, of God's grace being offered to us? This covenant of grace provides a better future, verses 26 and 27. We're told that there will be a shaking. Haggai 2, verse 6, the prophet talked about the shaking that would come worldwide. There would be a shaking. Nothing on earth is secure. No institution, no business, no relationship, no possession no government, no kingdom, no political system, no civilization. Uh, It's interesting to go to these ancient places and see great civilizations like even Rome, the Rome Forum, and to see them in ruins and to see how much has been ruined. And yet people lived here. People had businesses here. This seemed like it would never end. And yet there it is. It's, It's in ruins. And we're told that God will shake the earth. I believe it's in Isaiah where it talks about how God will shake it like um, someone cleaning out a carpet, just shaking all the dust and dirt off of it. He will remove the things that are so that he can bring in the things that are eternal that cannot be shaken. Only what God has established will remain, only the good. And he says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that is eternal, we are to serve God acceptably. Listen to this about what we are receiving from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, where Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see that? We are receiving an eternal, secure, undefiled, incorruptible inheritance. It cannot be, be shaken. And because of this great inheritance, by grace, we offer better service to God. We not only receive, here we are, better relationships, better destination, better future, and a better message by grace, but it is by grace that we can serve God better. That's why he says, let us have grace. Let us have grace. And then what? By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What do we need to serve God acceptably? What will meet the standard? It is grace. Let us have grace. Grace has been provided to us through the new covenant We have been saved by grace, but we must continue in grace. In Acts 13, verse 43, when Paul and Barnabas were going back to the churches that had been established, they spoke to them and exhorted them to continue in grace. This is the message of the apostles. You can't do it through the law. You can't please God acceptably, except by his own grace working in us. It is only by the power of God's grace working in us that we can serve God acceptably. And what will it produce? Godly reverence. And and that word reverence there means humility to a sovereign. Reverent, like how you would greet. I've told you before, I love Judge Judy. But people will come into Judge Judy's court, she'll ask them a question and they'll say, yep. And she'll say, what did you say? And they're like, oh, yes, ma'am. She's like, that's better. And I remember somebody said, you know, Judge Judy, she said, I'm not Judge Judy to you. I'm not your friend. And they said, Judge Scheinler. she said, better. And, you know, She put this great big chasm, this respect. And I was thinking, if you have that type of respect for Judge Judy, how much more respect we have for the Lord. But how do we get the right attitude by grace? We realize that all we have our status, our power, our strength is all because of this grace that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is why we can have grace. The connotation is knowing our true estate and need. We come humbly with great respect, knowing that Jesus has all we need but we also serve with godly fear this word fear means veneration and piety it is to serve God by receiving his grace knowing that a refusal of his grace is lethal so we embrace and we receive from the Lord everything he has for us and then the author ends with this word, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is not safe. You cannot choose the way you serve God. He has given us this new covenant of grace. There is no going back to the old covenant. That won't work. You can't serve God. You might say, I want to serve God through rules and rituals and regulations and through the feast. You can't, you can't. There is only one way to acceptably serve God. And that's through Jesus Christ and the grace he's brought. Any other way is lethal. It'll burn you up. God is not safe. We cannot choose the way we honor God. We cannot choose what we will call him. Well, I want to call him Herbert. No. We serve God, Yahweh, and his son, Jesus, the Messiah. It's not like, well, I serve him, but I do it through using this name of this other religious God. No, God cannot be toyed with. God is only safe to us through the mediation of Jesus, through the grace that Jesus has brought us. We must approach God in Christ by grace alone, because any other Approach is like trying to go to Mount Sinai. It's lethal, it's dangerous, it's harsh, and it's painful. I was thinking about this quote in the Chronicles of Narnia from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I I knew Jasmine would have it immediately. I just I thought Jasmine probably even has this on her phone. I'm just going to ask her. So I sent her a quick text and within like seconds. Boom, it was there. And she said, I think you mean this one. And it was exactly what I want. And it's one of my favorite parts in the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's the part where the children um, are all in Narnia. Edmund has snuck off some uh, place and nobody knows. But they're talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver is telling them that they've got to prepare. And they're going to go see Aslan, who is the lion. And he's a type of Christ, And he's really strong and powerful. And if you haven't read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you have to. You must. You can even get it on audio. And it's so interesting to listen to. But in there, the beaver says to the children, Aslan is a lion. Don't you like the accent? The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Corsier isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's so true. Even as Aslan, the lion was not safe without the right approach. So God and Jesus are not safe except through grace and the covenant of grace. We cannot approach Jesus any way we feel. We must approach him on the basis of what he has done for us. So the author uses the word grace over seven times in this epistle to show us the superiority of what we have received through faith in Christ Jesus, to show us the way to respond and walk in this new covenant, It is in grace, it is by grace, it is through grace, and we are sustained by God's divine grace. So let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably.
0: The author of Hebrews uses the word grace over seven times in this epistle to show us the superiority of our faith in Jesus Christ. This grace is powerful and allows us to come boldly before God without fear and shame to receive help in our time of need. It is so important to remember that we approach God not according to our own works, but based on what Jesus did. It is in grace, by grace, and through grace that we are kept and sustained by God. Remaining in God's grace is essential to living out His will, purpose, and call for our lives. As we do, our lives will be a witness of God's transforming power and faithfulness. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at life in the new covenant as we continue our series, Our Great Faith in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.